I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom, not Tom Horn, the other Tom, Bionic. <laughs> now, that wasn't just foreshadowing. You gave away the name of our guest that we were going to surprise without uh, fanfare. You know, we could be interviewing Chuck Missler, and I just wanted to make it clear that I wasn't Tom Horn. Could be. How, how do you know? How, the audience doesn't know. Well, you know the what? The guest hasn't spoken. How about we resolve this right now? Okay. This week, we have a great guest with us this week on Future Quake. We have Tom Horn, the real Tom <laughs> Horn. Uh as you know and love, all of you, uh, but is most recently the author of the new book, Forbidden Gates, The Dawn of Techno-Dimensional Spiritual Warfare. And we're going to talk about the Christian challenge in the emerging last days post-human society. Brother Tom, I want to tell you it is a pleasure to have you, a longtime member of the very exclusive five-time guest club here at Future Quake, back on our show. Well, thank you. It's great to be on, and, and uh, I'm not bionic but i am tom <laughs> yeah we need to get you some kind of pseudonym we'll work on something for you okay we'll, we'll come up with something that's not as understated as ours but a little yeah. more outlandish um usually it's just your content that fits that usually your content is something that uh, raises people's eyebrows and and, and oh, other like things lom torn or something maybe. we'll we'll, we'll work yeah. on something hidden like that yeah you know, we could have like a cryptography challenge where people could break it <laughs> all from ten thousand dollars to figure yeah. out who it is. Uh oh. You know, uh, <laughs> or somebody's money. Uh, many of our listeners are uh, quite familiar with you, including becoming acquainted with your background from our prior uh, your prior visits to our show. Um, and uh, there have been a good number of those. I recommend all of our listeners go back to the archives of futurequake.com and catch those other shows. Uh, so since our time is short, please permit me to just briefly summarize your background. And you correct me, Tom, if I err in some of these things or if I omit some really essential data here. Uh, you served as a pastor for decades as well as an executive in a prominent evangelical denomination. Uh, many years ago, you founded the Internet news site Raiders News Network, uh, one of the most popular Christian news sites on the web, as well as additional Christian businesses such as Defender Publishing and the Survivor Mall. Uh, you've offered, authored many best-selling books, many of which have been profiled on earlier Future Quake shows. And today you join us to discuss your latest book, Forbidden Gates, The Dawn of Techno-Dimensional Spiritual Warfare. Um, I've just read your book cover to cover, and uh, I noticed you covered some topics in here that have been, you have been warning the church and society about, actually, in, in a general way, for, for many years. Um including the whole issue of transhumanism, which we'll talk about in the human enhancement movements, and the threats it offers socially and spiritually uh, to our society. What is the information in this book, uh, in the subjects and the general content that is unique uh, in this latest effort that you've done, and why did you feel like an additional book like this was urgently needed beyond what you had discussed earlier? Yeah, uh, well, you, you said to let you know if you missed anything in that uh, very uh, long introduction, uh, just that I'm handsome, too, <laughs> in, in addition to all those other things. Well, if yeah. it was too long, next time don't accomplish so much, okay? <laughs> You've got to get no, the look, I mean, gene up. Yeah. It, it, Go ahead. You're, you're, you're right, and, uh, you know, I've been out here now for the last decade talking about transhumanism, human enhancement, uh, and, and, you know, since I'm not a scientist, 
it's amazing. I, I, I tell people all the time I have no idea how I wound up being in this position. Uh, certainly everybody tells me I'm, I'm the guy that's talking most about this, and certainly I've been uh, the target of the transhumanist community more than anybody else that I know as a result of being willing to continue raising these issues. But I think that the material is expedient. That's why we wrote the book Forbidden Gates, um, because we're trying to highlight uh, Tom and Dr. Bennett what we believe is a near-future scenario that could be risky. Uh, in fact, according to some of the even material that's been produced by the government, potentially world-changing, maybe even world-ending, according to some of these mm. science events, that um, particular you know quarters of government believe are going to occur as a result of the genetics revolution. And, of course, by that we mean things like human enhancement technologies like recombinant DNA technologies, transgenics, genetic engineering of species. We're going to do to humans what we've been doing to plants and animals, in other words. And this is being seen now as um, not just the emerging tools of human transformation, uh, but maybe even the next arms race, something that we can't get away from, according to the Jasons at the Pentagon, other uh, intelligence agencies um, that are talking about now how breakthroughs in the uh, genetic sciences. Now, we we use the term all throughout that new book, GRIN or GRINS, Genetics, Robotics, Artificial Intelligence, Nanotechnology, and Synthetic Biology. But, you know, the synthetic biology is fairly new, and I'm sure that additional breakthroughs are going to come along to add words to these acronyms. But the point is that since we've mapped the human genome, gave birth to the genetic sciences, I mean, look around the world today. Look what we're doing to animals. Look what we're doing to plants. Look what we're doing in synthetic biology with um, creating, you know, um, wholly new forms of life that neither God nor evolution, depending on your worldview, allowed for. And now what some of these scientists are saying and what some of the think tanks in the military are saying is that these technologies ultimately are going to give birth to the uh, transhuman world view, human enhancement. In fact, a couple of these uh, uh, newer reports that have been taxpayer-funded through the U.S. government uh, actually look toward the year 2012, basically saying that any time after that, all bets are off, that the first baby steps in human enhancement are going to begin and how quickly it's going to advance could be exponential, especially when driven by military dollars, and especially if we get into a competition with China, for instance, who the Jasons were mostly uh, concerned with, I think, in that leaked document that made it to Wired Magazine, and then Wired Magazine wrote an article called Jason's Fear, Brain-Modified Foes, uh, in which they were basically depicting a situation that, um, whether we like it or not, we are being propelled into a kind of arms race because, you know, if we, if we don't get ahead of the technology, basically what the Jasons were saying is that our enemies will or our potential enemies mm -hmm. will, and then they'll use it to dominate us on the battlefield. And, of course, you're a scientist, uh, Dr. Bennett, so, you, you know, you completely understand the um, point of view that they're discussing. Now, um uh, you, you, you've talked about this topic uh, in, in various books that you've done in the past, as well as on your website and other places that you've talked. What made you decide that right now was the time that it needed a dedicated book 
on this topic right now beyond what you'd covered before? Why, why the sense of urgency right now? Well, because everything's accelerating so quickly. You know, we I did a show with you last year on Apollyon Rising 2012. And we were talking, and I actually brought this up when I spoke at the right. Ohio Science and Supernatural Conference as well. Uh, I did that in Ohio because Ohioans might not have been aware that Case Law School in Cleveland had been given almost a million dollars from the U.S. Department of Health to start setting the you know the the guidelines that are going to be used for setting public policy with regard to human enhancement. Uh, that was that you know that was about 30 months ago. The 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 research that was headed by Professor Maxwell Melman of Case Law School ended about nine months ago now. And since he's been, you know, traveling the United States, going to our universities, Arizona State University and others, giving his lectures, you know, on the future of democracy, uh, uh, transhumanism, and the future of democracy. And his other lecture is called Directed Evolution, Public Policy and Enhancement. Um, but, but since then, there have been uh, two or three reports about the time that the Case Law School study ended, the U.S. National Science Foundation report, Ethics of Human Enhancement, 25 Questions and Answers, was published. And you know a little bit about that because I had written an open letter to Christian leaders, which was also picked up by Wired magazine, on uh, human enhancement and uh, or on biotechnology and the future of man, telling Christian leaders that I thought they needed to awake to this issue to become aware of mm-hmm. what is going on and how taxpayer money is being spent to fund these studies by mostly pro-transhumanist uh, ideologues. Um, and then, of course, the co-author of the NSF-funded report you wrote this long diatribe about me over at the Institute for Ethics and Emerging Technologies, which is the largest online think tank of transhumanists uh, that's run by James Hughes and Professor Nick Bostrom, and he wrote this huge thing over there about me, basically equating me to a, a terrorist pig and the kind of person yeah. uh. that, that would make Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, uh, proud. But uh, but that came out shortly thereafter. And then even more recently, and this this just a few weeks ago, uh, I also referred to this in the Ohio conference, uh, and you guys may or may not have read this report. This was the September so this is now eight or mm-hmm. ten weeks old, Global Governance 2025 at a Critical Juncture. Uh, and this was a study funded by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence here in the United States working in league with mm-hmm. the European Institute of Security Studies. And people that want to go to Forbidden Gate, singular, not plural, ForbiddenGate.com, can pull the page down and they'll see the uh, PDF there that they can right-click and download and read this for themselves and note that on page 35, when it's talking about what might be the the triggers, what might be Mm -hmm. the causal agents that could give birth to the need for a global government, they start talking about enhanced humans and how that there are no no policies, no international uh, policies in place that might be able to deal adequately with the threat po- posed by uh, enhanced humans or superintelligence or super animals. That, of course, is the same issue that it was taken up last year at the House Foreign Affairs uh, uh, Committee uh, hearings chaired by California Democrat Brad Sherman in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so and I think we talked about that, so I don't want to repeat all that information, right. but the, 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 to answer your question, um, it's because we are at the knee of the curve right now, uh, Ray Kurzweil says. Mm-hmm. The curve, I mean the exponential curve, we're about to round the corner. And if anybody understands you know, the theory behind uh, right. the exponential curve, uh, things are going to start accelerating so quickly, the law, of, uh, the law of accelerating returns, that technology is going to outpace most of our ability to be able to even keep up with what, you know, with what it could, uh, what could happen, mm-hmm. what it might right. mean, and uh, well, so, I felt like I've been obsolete for a long time, but I ain't, I ain't seen nothing yet compared and I'm just to slow, so. enhanced humans <laughs> come out. Uh, you know, a th- uh, in your book, probably roughly a third of it you know, at the beginning is really focused on aspects of spiritual warfare, yeah. because you make this whole issue not just a technical one, but very much a spiritual one, with spiritual implications to what's happening in. Uh, the dawn of enhanced humans uh, that live amongst us and possibly taking control. Um, you, you speak about the influence of dark spirit forces on earthly governments and their leaders. And I, I wondered your opinion. Do you think it is possible for such earthly leaders to be so influenced even when they're unaware of such an influence? And, and what are some examples of historical events and decisions, including by our own government, that you suspect is having been influenced by these evil spirit forces, and why? Well, uh, let me say that I have—I'm very suspicious that both Dr. Bennett and Tom Bionic hmm. uh, know the answer to the question that they're asking. <laughs> uh, certainly, I mean, is—is uh, uh, is our government? Well, we wanted a legitimate opinion this yeah. time on the topic. Y'all, no, yeah. no crackpots. <laughs> well, then why didn't you have Chuck Missler on instead of me? <laughs> Look, there's, you know, there's. There's basically three sources of spiritual power that influence the universe. Uh, divine influence that comes from God. Satanic influence that comes from the sphere of Satan. And then human influence. And this is the one that most people usually miss. Humans can also affect society for good or evil as, as they give themselves over or submit themselves to divine or satanic control. I, as a pastor, I saw this so many times even in marriages, where uh, one person really wanted to serve the Lord, but they were drawn down by another uh, who was dedicated to, you know, evil forces. Now, on the, uh, but as far as the government level, I mean, I think there's been times in history when you've had whole countries that uh, submitted to God's influence. Uh, I Last year, you know, on Apollyon Rising 2012, and people would bring up the issue about, well, you know, if, the, if you had uh, a small but powerful influential community during the founding of this country, uh, you know, why did God so bless the country? Well, because the majority of the people in the country submitted to God's influence. The pilgrim movement gave birth to a reverence uh, towards uh, both the Bible and a reverence towards God, and thank God that they did uh, because it held back uh, the plan by those occult influences. Is that why they put a Bible in the bottom of the Washington Monument? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you and I did shows on that. If we didn't, I did, I did six or eight hours right. with uh, you know Steve Quayle and uh, the, on that whole thing. But the point is, it, 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 there were influences in this country that spoiled the strategies of evil, made possible the healing of the nation and the preservation of the nation. But there were others, and these within government, who certainly were being influenced by negative forces. Some of them probably were aware of it. Some of them may not have been aware of it. 
And there have been times uh, throughout history where that pattern has been seen over and over again, where you have uh, nations that have turned their back on God. And Psalm 78 talks about how that opens the door to evil angels to invade or influence that society. And then there have been times when uh, Satan's uh, voice uh, didn't dominate the mindset of the majority, and systems of government and philosophy uh, were influenced by positive spirits. Now, I'm not talking about dominionism, and I'm not talking about the church. I'm just saying that... Well, uh, what do you think I, are some examples of some events that you suspect that these dark spirit forces had sway in our own country? Well, certainly during the founding of the country, um, those uh, influences we were talking about a moment ago, the Masonic influences, the prophecies that are on the great seal of the United States mm-hmm. that forecast the coming of an Antichrist, a Masonic God that would be the fulfillment actually of the blending. Talk about talk about genetics and the influence of genetics, robotics, artificial intelligence, and nanotechnology and synthetic biology. It's it is summed up in the prophecy of the Kume Sibyl, which was placed upon the great seal of the United States, which forecasts mm-hmm. a time in which the, the heroes and the gods will be blended together once again, giving birth to the coming of an Antichrist. Now, uh, that to me would be one of the super illustrations mm-hmm. of, government, of government personalities being influenced in ways that they couldn't possibly comprehend. Or if they did, very few of them did. And then you go to Washington, D.C., and look at the layout of Washington, D.C., and it is it is literally the incarnation of the mythos of Osiris and Isis uh, with the giant obelisk standing out there and the, and the dome representing the womb of Isis and the rituals that take place on 16th Street, not very far away. Right. But, I mean, yeah. So, you, you I, I, but, you know, down through... The history of this nation, there would be many times you could point to little things like experimentation on our own soldiers. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you, uh, so maybe uh, some and, big and, things like some wars and things like that too. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's what I was going to say, and, so, and some and some much bigger things like invading countries, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, where we cooked the uh, information mm-hmm. and took it to Congress and snowballed the American public to uh, invade countries where the intelligence certainly was not whatsoever in line with what we were pretending it was. But we did that because, you know, we wanted to establish a presence uh, in that territory or we were interested in oil or we were interested in whatever. You know what's frustrating? is that those sacrificial lambs were our own American boys and girls. Those people who lead those things at the top don't wear horns and wear black capes so we can know for sure that's what's going on. It really requires discernment for us to look at fruit of these kind of activities. And it makes it very frustrating. You can't pin it on somebody who looks a certain way or a certain political party or a certain ideology or whatever. Uh, evil, just like good, comes packaged in a lot of different kind of ways. And this human enhancement movement is going to really um, exacerbate this whole problem of of Satan coming as an angel of light. He will have new aspects of how to disguise himself uh, via this movement and disguise as a Trojan horse with some solutions to you know, nagging problems in medicine or cancer or things like that. 
uh, as an excuse to be able to justify these kind of things. You know, you, you got into some pretty esoteric things just then, talking about um, some things in, in, in our capital and in other things. There, there's something you mentioned that fascinates me uh, in your book. It's parenthetical, but you, I think you mentioned it in your earlier book, too, uh, Apollyon Rising. And that was uh, something that's alluded to in Scripture, talking about, um, in spiritual warfare, these magic bands they were actually used in soul right. capture devices. Right. Uh, can you explain exactly what you know what those things were and why they were relevant to your thesis? I, yeah, I had a know, quick this, comment I want to make on that when you're done. Okay. Well, that actually goes back to many years ago when I was still a pastor and uh, was actually working on uh, sermons and that sort of thing that would eventually be part of the book Spiritual Warfare, The Invisible Invasion, which is out of print now, but people can download it for free. They can find out about that at ForbiddenGate.com. They can download that one and the, the, the one that followed that, The Gods Who Walk Among Us. They can actually also download a 13-week teacher's guide, 263 pages on this very subject of transhumanism. Those are all free. Mm-hmm. So they can find out about that at ForbiddenGate.com. But um, so this goes back some time where I was reading uh, one day in Ezekiel, the 13th chapter. And uh, Ezekiel, uh, he says, Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against your pillows, wherewith ye there uh, hunt the souls to make them fly, and I will tear them from your arms and will let the souls go, even the souls that ye hunt to make them fly. And this was a very mysterious portion of scripture to me. I couldn't quite understand what I was reading, so I read it in a lot of other versions, and then I read it, of course, in the Hebrew. And the the Hebrew word pillows is kasetat. Um, and nothing in my formal training in theology uh, had ever discussed kasetat, what that might mean, and also mesepat. Uh, uh, so there's some related words there. And so I started doing um, research on this. At the time, the Internet wasn't even invented, so I had to go to, a, you know, to libraries and get books on theology and whatever. Ultimately wound up uh, with um, scripture and other artifacts by Philip King and, and Michael David and some other books that were discussing this issue. Uh, and what emerged from that was the idea that these were magic bracelets, and they had to do with um, the bacchanalia, the worshippers of Dionysus, uh, and they. Uh, now, I should tell you that part of this magic is still a mystery. Uh, mm-hmm. How it worked, what was done, how it was used, uh, nobody really knows. Uh, There's it, almost it nothing also, on the web. If you Google these terms, the actual uh, in their original language, the terms you'll mostly get Tom Horn references, and only a couple of other ones that you referred to because it's that rare a, uh, a topic. Yeah, well, but people can, um, in fact, I think now uh, Google Books, I think, has mm-hmm. uh, King and David's uh, book, Scripture, and Other Artifacts up at Google Books. And so you might be able to, to type in uh, words like Cassetot or whatever, uh, or, or Miss Paybot, and mm. then Google Books and probably pull their book up. But 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 uh, they, they were one of the sources. There were a couple others that I found during the time. Mm-hmm. This is 20 years ago, by the way. But they were one of the sources. And basically what they, what they revealed was these uh, armbands were used for binding and for loosing. 
And what's very interesting about this, in fact, uh, a, a six-hour series I did with Steve Quayle raised the issue that how um, the language around the use of these from other, like Babylonian texts, mm-hmm. refers to how they were used uh, on persons of every size. And the implication is we might also here be talking about giants, but not just giants. Um, and and the the terms kasetat mispebat uh, mean to be sewn on the arms, and mispebat means on the the head of every height, on mm-hmm. the heads of persons of every height. Um, now um, uh, Philip King and and, and uh, Michael David also quote uh, Babylonian texts, I think by um, J C Cook or G A Cook or something mm-hmm. like that, where they were quoting Hellenistic. Uh, writings about figurines uh, from Palestine that had been found, small figurines mm-hmm. that had wire that was twisted around their arms, around their ankles as a kind of binding, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then these magical texts from Babylonia that uh, talked about wool, white wool, black wool. Um, anyway, so the, so very little is known about this, but but the bottom line is what has been deciphered, decoded, is that these were used for binding and for loosing. And what uh, Ezekiel was saying, essentially he was saying that the power of God is more powerful than the, than the Dionysian magic. Mm-hmm. And that the, the, peop, the covenant people of God, that their souls could not be bound by this magic. They could not be turned into mm-hmm. automatons, that, uh, that the power of God would set them free. Mm-hmm. Well, what I what I what I take from that too is that the human body does have a direct bearing on on the spirit. Uh, it's it's not like a, a gnostic kind of thing where where it has no bearing at all and you can do whatever you want like that Epicureans with your body and your spirit is totally different. There is some kind of conjunction there. And what I found interesting, your book actually took me back to the Bible several times to go back and look up some of these words and look up at things at different times and. Um, when I looked this up, it, it, it said that it also could refer to phylacteries, yep. which are known to be the little boxes with the scripture that Orthodox Jews tie on their foreheads and on their hand, which is very interesting when you think about what was Satan interested in sealing his followers in Revelation. Where did he want his seal, sealing to go? On the hand and on the forehead. And yep. if you if you study those phylacteries, they're actually bound too. They're bound. There, there's a strap that has to be wound a certain way to hold the box uh, on on your hand, and a certain way that it's actually bound on your forehead. Uh, and they even put the knot in a particular place so that the box and the knot actually intersect through your head in a certain point. It's that precise. And it, what I found interesting in, in stumbling across this reading your book was that. Where, where it goes through is right in a crucial part of your brain where your pineal gland is, or your third eye, is where the scripture is actually positioned directly in front of uh, when they use this. So I, I, I think there is something, your thesis, that the physical body, we need to be careful in our modifications for one reason, is that there is a connection to spirit. Uh, you've, you've made a point in other books there, that there is some kind of resonance, for lack of a better term, with certain regions of the world and spirit activity, or portals, whatever you want to call it. There are right. geographical portals in the world, but there also seem to be bodily portals. 
And if you don't know what you're doing and you start messing with these kind of things, things that God may have bound may be accidentally or purposefully loosed. Uh, and it may not just be in a region. You know, we may have had soldiers in Babylon over there trying to get something to, to get, you know, open dimensional stargates in certain places. But in our human body, there can be a massive effort to do this. Like if I, if I you know, clean my ears the wrong way, I'm going to... Be careful. You don't know what's going <laughs> to pop out of there. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that was just something I found very interesting about... Well, no, but, 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 Mike, uh, first of all, you you guys are right on. Um, the reason that we spent, you know, about a third of this new book, Nephilim Stargates, just verifying the biblical premise for supernaturalism, both angels and demons, and how they can be bound and loose and how they can influence lives, is because we believe that what's happening now in transhumanism could potentially open a gateway uh, in the mind. I mean, we're not just biological constructs. We're not just, you know, uh, a bunch of uh, electrons and protons, uh, you know, uh, neutrons put together in certain combinations, and now we have a, uh, uh, matter, so humans are another version of a tree. We were made in the image of God. We were made to be uh, vessels of the Holy Spirit of God. And we know that people can also be possessed by demons, and we know that the mind is a gateway. Um, for instance, how many times in, in church life have we saw people who were uh, either oppressed or possessed by demonic forces because they gave in to the lusts of the flesh, um, and, and they allowed their mind then to begin entertaining um, things like, you know, pornography or whatever. And then that ultimately led to cheating on a, on a spouse. And ultimately they start down this road from which they can't seem to get back once these gateways are opened. And they become literally controlled by the spiritual forces that are operating mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. behind those influences. But it begin, but it, but it occurs through the body. It occurs through the flesh. So we're, we're complex in terms of our creation. And when you mentioned a moment ago the phylacteries, that's kind of a New Testament King James term. I think the the Jews today call it tephilim or something right, like that. Right, that's right, that's right. And uh, but 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 these you know they put these verses from the Torah mm -hmm. inside the uh, these things that they bind on their forehead. Now, it, it, uh, also uh, your listeners should know that directly related to this, actually germane, very important to this, in the book uh, Forbidden Gates is some material that was actually contributed by you, uh, Dr. Bennett, where you were talking about drugs like DMT mm -hmm. that are produced in the pineal gland right. um, and how these have been used for thousands of years by shamans to make contact with the spirit world uh, to open themselves up, to open their minds up to literal contact with entities. And for anybody that thinks that that, uh, you know, that's okay, they get on a psychedelic drug or they get on a, a, a you know, uh, what's a, the, the green tea, you know, that's being kind of revived mm -hmm. now, um, and that they're just high, and because they're high or they're on a psychedelic drug, you know, they, they, they have, um, you know, visions or whatever of things that are non-material, they're not corporal. But, but, but the Bible verifies uh, through the term pharmakia, 
in several places in the Bible that through the use of drugs, contact with spiritual forces actually can be made. And how this is related to uh, the pineal gland and DMT, the part that you contributed to our book, to me, was like one of the highlights of the entire book. Very important material. Wow. Well, you know, that's... Aren't you working... Now, aren't you working on a book on this uh, book? Yes, and it's coming to a bookstore near you as soon as it gets finished. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, th th that sort of emphasizes my my scholastic emphasis over over what you're talking about. You know, that is a chemical means of enhancement, and that's what sorcery is about. Uh, their version of better living spiritually through chemistry, although we know it's degraded. Uh, you talk about a biological enhancement. There are two different sciences with the same end goal, to have us become gods and to be able to communicate with the gods. Right. So there are two methods that work in concert for this. And, you know, when, when, when I did some more reading on the, uh, was it t t tefillin, I believe you, you, you said the term? Yes. The, one, uh, the, the word actually means safeguard. Or safe house, so it has a protective connotation with its strategic placement on your body. Right. So I find it a very interesting message, and I have. Before we move on into the current day um, impact of what's going on, you, you do a lot of establishment out of the Bible, and you give one example of a person that if we could spend a couple minutes on before we move to the modern day, and I appreciate it. And that was some theories that you've had for a long time re regarding Nimrod who has been a, a candidate for a number of us for some time as a potential Antichrist candidate, that he would actually in some way or form make his reappearance uh, to do what he started out to do to the Tower, basically lead humanity in rebellion against God and against, against heaven. Um, and, and you have made a point, I think rather uniquely uh, in our community, uh, reading a lot into this phrase in the scripture saying that he became a, a Gaborim or a mighty man, a uh, giant, uh, whatever, that, that actually a transformation occurred to him. Can you give yep. us a quick capsule of why you think that's a justifiable theological position, that he actually literally was transformed sometime during his life into something else, which would be a foreshadowing of what we're talking about man wants to do now? Well, uh, I think we've talked about this before, but basically the story of Nimrod, uh, who is in ancient literature also known as Gilgamesh in Sumerian fame, Apollo in Greek fame, Osiris in Egyptian fame. But in the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis 10.8, it says about Nimrod, and Cush beget Nimrod, he began to be a mighty one in the earth. And anybody who has a strong concordance, for crying out loud, <laughs> can, can look this language up in the Hebrew. Uh, and, and to me, it's, it's an unprecedented portion of Scripture because the phrase, he began to be, in Hebrew, is from halal, which means to become profaned or defiled or polluted or, or even desecrated ritually, which is an interesting aspect of this terminology, but it means to become corrupted uh, sexually or genetically. Second, um, that verse tells us exactly what Nimrod began to be as halal started occurring. He began to be a mighty one, and this is Gaborim, uh, which many scholars, not all, but many, believe are the offspring of the Nephilim. Certainly, Chuck Missler and others that we mentioned earlier believe that this is the offspring 
of the Nephilim. So then you, you look at that portion of Scripture. In fact, in my book, by the way, I also quote uh, Cambridge uh, University uh, writers, um, Alex Reed or Annis Reed, I can forget the name, but uh, in their works, uh, saying that uh, the Nephilim of Genesis 6-4 were always grouped together with the Gibberim as the progeny of the Watchers and human women. So this is a, it's a fairly established fact, at least in my mind. Um, and then you look at the third part of that text, which says that this change to Nimrod started while he was on Earth. Therefore, in my opinion, in modern language, that text could actually and accurately be translated to say Nimrod began to change genetically, halal, becoming a Giborim, the offspring of watchers on the earth. Um, so, to me, that also then potentially provides a pattern for what happened afterward. The fact that in the very next chapter he goes and he builds the Tower of Babel, uh, and he seems to know exactly where to build it, so that it will literally reach into the throne room of God. And God himself comes down and says that what they have imagined to do, and what was it they imagined to do, to build a tower whose top would, quote, reach uh, into Shemayim, into the dwelling place of God. Uh, and there are, there's, a, there's a fantastic amount of uh, Jewish apocalyptic literature and extra-biblical texts, ancient records, all of which, uh, including Josephus, uh, describe what happened with the building of the Tower of Babel as an event by a superman, if you will, who decided to build a tower as a ladder, literally to so that he could walk up into the throne room of God and defy God. So, um, uh, and and the fame of him as a mighty hunter, of course, extended into all these other various uh, cultures. Can, can, and then, can of I, course, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to make some comments. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but th this really captured my interest when I began to, to try to look up and verify some of your points that you make here because these are very provocative claims that you make. Sure. And there's some additional definitions of that work. Is it Kalal, is that correct? Yeah, Hall. Uh, uh, okay. okay. Um, there's some additional definitions uh, that are used in Scripture for that word that, that are very intriguing in light of your end times. Uh, hypothesis about Nimrod, because additional ways that it is used in in the Old Testament, it also means to wound fatally, to, to bore through, to pierce, to bore, to actually be slain with a wound. And I couldn't help but think of what is the key event in the life of the Antichrist that transforms him one day, where he suddenly is this cunning man that unites the nations, uh, if, if it connects to the book of Daniel, where it says with very few men he's able to in, intrigue, he's able to, to uh, conquer many nations. And there's something that happens to him with this mortal head wound, and sure. suddenly he's described as what? He's described as the beast, where he becomes not known as a human, but as a beast. And what is it that, that causes this event? A mortal head wound. Mm-hmm. So this makes me wonder if, if this moral headwind may be related to one of these kind of events that this word describes, an actual transformation event that occurs that makes this possible for, for the spirit to be within him. You know, you, you mentioned polluted or profaned. Uh, it, it's so pregnant with meaning in other passages in Scripture because that same word is used 
uh, about altars uh, early in Genesis when altars were supposed to be meant to sacrifice to God that were pure with unhewn stone, with stones that were made by God were undefiled, whereas those were, that were human tools were applied to were considered polluted and the same word was used. So if we think of our human bodies as altars of which we sacrifice ourselves you know, to God in service to him, when we start doing this altering, it's like we're applying a hewn tool, uh, an actual tool to these stones and totally modifying who they are. But it, it doesn't stop there. Uh, in Isaiah 47, which is a passage I like because it, it really mirrors, I believe, Revelation 18 about the, the uh, um, great city Babylon, is that he refers to Babylon being the same way, that the pollution that occurs is the same kind of word that exists, and it says that it is the haunt of every foul and unclean beast uh, in the same fashion, in concert with it. And, and furthermore, in Isaiah 51, it, the word is used about uh, in the ancient days when God wounded the dragon. So there's a context to a dragon and a wounding that occurs to him where the same word is used. And of course, in Ezekiel 7, it's mentioned in 13 as well, too. Um, so, uh, to me, there's a there's a consistent theme, something here that that there may be to me more to this. What 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 are your thoughts on this? Well, first of all, a couple of different things you said just now that I was unaware of, and I really like this analogy that you're drawing to our body as an altar uh, to the Lord that can also be profaned, because the halal carries with it these kind of dynamic meanings, including, uh, as I said earlier, and then as you actually further elaborated on, uh, the idea of ritual uh, contamination. So, um, And then there's a whole prophetic side of this. Uh, in, the, in the New Testament, the identity of Nimrod that goes along with the, this Antichrist figure who receives this mortal head wound and then is healed of the head wound, by the way, and being healed of that head wound also connects to the Raphaim, which are connected to the Nephilim and, and uh, the offspring of the Watchers, to be healed from their wounds, as in a resurrection. Um, in the New Testament, uh, the god Apollo, which is, and, and you know, for those who are listening to this, go back and listen to those archived shows that we did in which we talked about the great seal of the United States and the prophecy of this Masonic Messiah who's going to return to the earth on the great seal of the United States with the symbolism of Osiris Apollo uh, because that will fill in a lot of gaps on what we're talking about tonight. But he returns to the earth. This is the same spirit that's going to inhabit the political leader of the end times, the Antichrist. And Second uh, Thessalonians 2.3 says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except to come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And this is Apollia, Apollyon, Apollo, the same Greek version of the biblical Old Testament Nimrod. Uh, so the, the, the return of Nimrod, the rising of Nimrod, if you will, is... Uh, prophesied in the Bible. It's also prophesied on the great seal of the United States. Revelation 7-8 ties the coming of the Antichrist with Apollo, saying that the beast will ascend from the bottomless pit and enter into perdition. Apollia, Apollyon, Apollo. So, Dr. Bennett, you're correct. There's a, there, is a, there is a stream of thought. There is a thread 
running through uh, ancient literature and running through the Old Testament and the New Testament that has a great deal to say about this ancient personality that was known as Nimrod. So when you ask me why do I believe that, that what is implied in Genesis 10 and 11 is saying something more than a cursory reading of that text mm-hmm. might, uh, you know, might, might infer. Uh, it's because if, you know, when you, when you, when you study scripture, usually it takes you, you know, two decades around a particular topic to really get the full picture of what's going on mm-hmm. there. Uh, and there is a great deal of powerful, potent, explosive, and ap- uh, apocalyptic, eschatological, uh, references related to this ancient figure known as Nimrod, and I believe, uh, after a very long time, and, and, and I'm, I'm not adamant to the point that, you know, some of my friends, some of the people I interview on my show, uh, you know, would not necessarily agree right. with my position on this, but I have come to believe that Nimrod is the, is mm-hmm. the spirit, if you will, that that body of flesh was a prototype of the coming Antichrist, uh, and that he was altered genetically. Okay. Now, if I'm correct, then this says an awful lot about what we're doing now in genetics, right. and the prophetic application. And his followers, his followers are getting ready uh, to have the masses to be able to be initiated similarly to himself, whereas he would be sort of the first fruits, possibly, of something that's done in a massive. Again, being this perverse replica of Christ himself, but using technology to try to replicate what what God has done Himself. Uh, it's and, and, yeah, and what's interesting, Doctor Bennett, is uh, that um, some of the transhumanists themselves are essentially saying the same thing. I was on uh, Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie the other night. It actually got the first, I was supposed to be on for three hours. I wound up for two hours because I got the first hour preempted by NASA's announcement that you know. We we now have right. new forms of life that they dug out of a pond somewhere, but um, but we got to talking about Terence McKenna and McKenna of course was the scientist that you know gave birth to the novelty theory and time wave uh, zero and all that. But but McKenna was a guy who did exactly what you've written about, and that is he used mm-hmm. DMT and some of these other uh, psychoactive drugs in order to open the gateways of his mind to make contact with supernatural entities. and uh, But McKenna, before he died, he was a transhumanist, and before he died, he wrote about how he believed that through altering our brain, uh, through altering our minds through genetic engineering and, and other forms of modification, that we might be able to provide a more stable platform a permanent platform that what these drugs are only kind of temporarily doing, that we might be able to do that through genetically rewiring our brains and provide a permanent platform for contact with supernaturalism. So that's only one aspect, of course, of what transhumanism and the genetics revolution could lead toward, but it does point to why in our book, Forbidden Gates, we're trying to raise the issue about how through altering ourselves as a species could also have supernatural implications. Well, I don't mean to dwell on this topic because I want to talk about what's going on today, but to me this was something that uh, really got my wheels turning 
because I, I'll be real frank with you, Tom. When, when I've heard your explanation about him actually transforming to his life into something else, I wasn't 100% sure I bought into that, although I was intrigued by it. And, and I've tried to learn now to keep my options open on issues like this and collect more data over time. But But if this were the case... And this would be a reflection and maybe a more accurate understanding of the mortal head wound that's that's mentioned in the last days. I could see that clearly describing that the person who is the Antichrist undergoing the same operation or procedure that you're suggesting Nimrod did. In 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 readiness or in concert to wage war against God himself and against his throne. And we know the first time it necessitated God coming down and personally intervening to stop it. Could, could it be set up for a similar kind of event? You know, there's a curious verse that I saw here out of Daniel 11. Uh, it says, in the King James says, An arm shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. You know, a lot of the words that you just referred to early in our discussion are mentioned in this one verse in the Hebrew. The arms that are mentioned are the same arms that are talked about the bands that were used to capture souls. So there was some kind of op- apparatus connected to the body and the technology involved in in something with this. Uh, and, and when it talks about their standing and polluting, again, it's that same word for pollution that's done, the sanctuary of strength. And the word for sanctuary used there refer- references many things, buildings and also anything sacred. So there could be actually a desecration of a sanctuary, metaphorically speaking, with our human bodies. With the sacred human body that are that that God has made for us through this process itself, that is that is pro, profane and and by its very very in essence antichrist mm-hmm. by this very activity. So I, I could certainly see this technology being made ready for the antichrist and for his followers at this time. And in fact, it may even explain the image that speaks. If they're able to do things, uh, you know, there was claims recently that they created a new life form. They actually put right. the new genetic structure in life form. Now they're saying there's things that are eating arsenic uh, that they can grow now that, that are alive. So our imagination may not have been big enough yet on what could be done to make an abomination of desolation or to make an image that speaks. These well, things may all be also- genetic monstrosities of what await us. It also makes you wonder, you know, um, you know, with, with uh, J. Craig Venter Institute, with their creation of the synthetic life form, Cynthia. But you notice how uh, the government under Obama has basically swooped in, formed committees, uh, and, and, they, and they have such um, a measurable interest now in studying what might be, um, you know, this Pandora's box. Uh, is it because... They're, they only want to be careful that the terrorists uh, are not able to get their hands on this kind of technology and brew up some kind of witch's brew that could wipe us all out. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly that could be part of it, but it makes you wonder, when you know as much about Washington, D.C. as we do and we talk about these kind of issues all the time, uh, it, it might there be an occult interest that is mm-hmm. seated somewhere deeply in Washington, D.C., looking at synthetic bio- biology. you got this, one of the newest, it's the newest area for biological research that actually seeks to design new forms of life, mm-hmm. biological mm-hmm. functions, stuff that's not found in nature. Uh, and, 
Uh, and this is uh, consistent with the hermetic disciplines in which they want to, our highest state, they believe, through Pythagoras and on, is to make us hermaphrodites. Where, where we suddenly lose our masculinity and femininity that God gave us, we become something else. And we know if you've been raised on a farm or anything, when you start doing things like that, you basically make geldings out of the well, population of people and you stop the, the recreation and repopulation of the entities you experiment with. Well, and, and immediately following the creation of Cynthia, you had uh, Jerome Glenn over, and here again, you know, we started out the show, you saying, why now? You've been talking about this for 20 years, but what was the urgency in writing the book Forbidden Gates? Uh, 2010 State of the Future, 14th Annual Report from the Millennium Project. Jerome uh, Glenn looking at what was happening in the Cynthia creation, and he says, now, as synthetic biologists uh, start forecasting computer code being written to create software to augment human capabilities, he says, so now uh, to genetic code will have to be rewritten to create life forms to augment civilization. That, that Those are actual quotes from the 2010 State mm-hmm. of the Future uh, report. So so the, the genie is out of the bottle, and I personally believe, and, and there again, I, I got all kind of friends, Every one of them somewhere along the way don't agree with me. That's fine. Somewhere along the way I don't agree with them, but we're friends, right? Mm-hmm. We all, we're iron sharpening iron. We're all in this thing together. Uh, on the, on the major things that are important, we agree. The immutability of the scripture, the virgin birth of Christ, salvation through Jesus Christ alone. On the things that are important, we agree, and all this other stuff is really important that we're talking about it right now. And frankly, that's partly also why we wrote the book Forbidden Gates. We think the Christian community needs to weigh in on this subject now while there is time. Get involved in the, in the uh, discussion. And so if, whether we're talking about uh, her, uh, you know, hermetic issues, like you mentioned a moment ago, and, and, and as you know, a great deal of hermeticism has to do with uh, uh, gateways that can be opened and closed, uh, the, the, the whole Ouroboros, I mean, the, the whole iconography around that is the idea, uh, you know, uh, through all these different ancient cultures of the gate, ways that can be opened and closed, the tail devourer. Um, so, um, I, Tom, I guess this is the bottom line, the way I see it, from your research and others. From a bunch of different directions, we, come to, we can come to the point that Satan and his minions have been obsessed with our humanity and what right. makes us human. And just like the scripture says how the angels you know, wonder to look in to what God is doing through us and even the church, as you've mentioned as well. The Bible says the church is to be able to be a witness of God's mystery and plan to these principalities and powers. So they are obsessed with what makes us human, uh, why we are redeemable, why we are worthy of redemption, and there's tremendous jealousy over, over what's going on. So if we see anything that tries to transform or change who we are, the odds are pretty high we know who are behind it. Right. But we already have a track record of the characters who have tried in the past, whether it was before the flood, to to mess up our bloodline to stop the kinsman redeemer, or or to come back even when they entered the promised land to try to tempt the the men of Israel uh, into some of these corrupt bloodlines possibly over and over again every attempt even if you look at each of the kings in history who have tried to kill the baby whether it was Moses whether it was baby Jesus whoever it was 
to try to stop this re- re- redemption event occurring and, and messing up our biology and the applicability of our kinsman redeemer in Jesus Christ is a an obsession of the dark forces and any Christian who has any perception should understand who should be pulling the strings about this and and, and, and these dark forces we talk about they have the money they have the influence in government and particularly certainly in military I believe to do these kind of things Thank goodness greater is he that is in, in us than he that is in the world. But they in, in, on their turf here in this world, they have these particular tools. And the church, as you point out, is the only entity, uh, God's people, his bride here, that have the awareness to be able to understand this and to be able to respond to it, expose it for what it is, warn people, and do what we can within the limits that, uh, you know, the, the times of sands of history will to, to allow us to arrest it if any way possible, but at least to warn people and protect them uh, as well, too. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the military a little bit because that's one of the things that certainly drives the ship in any of these kind of uh, uh, dark areas. It, it provides the excuse for the powers that be to say we've got to beat the other guys, uh, whether it's mind control weapons, whether it's MK Ultra with the CIA or whatever. But, you know, there was a military component even looking back toward Nimrod because the byproduct, if something did occur, if it had act, a transformation occurred, it, it says he became a mighty hunter before the Lord. Right. And I think in other uh, ancient texts, it is more clear that his primary hunting was other people. And he mm-hmm. became a tyrant over other people. So you, you could almost <laughs> see it as the first super soldier program, where actually he was developed into a super soldier to subjugate other people. And... The the military is more than happy. Of course, we had Nick Redford on, and if the, what the people told him what they said, uh, we have military and intelligence people that openly and fully embrace uh, occult, quote, wisdom uh, to be able to get what they want and to totally forget any kind of hazards or warnings along the way. And we've had CIA people uh, recruiting people who uh, use Ouija boards to be able to get information to make contact with spirit worlds different ways. And, of course, they know the public will never believe it. They know and that they'll never accept that testimony. And the thing you notice, you mentioned Nick Redfern. The thing you notice, whether it's like with Nick Redfern's new book, and he's talking about the religious influences in uh, Washington, D.C., that perceive UFOs as being uh, demonic and how that might play into policy that is established or whatever in Washington, um, there's always a genetic component. Um, you can't study ufology without seeing a genetic component in alien abduction phenomenon. But you also can't study history without seeing uh, Adolf Hitler, for instance, who wants to marry the military sciences, but also with eugenics, the genetic component, the idea that we're going to create a superhuman, uh, the Ubermensch, the overman, Nietzsche's overman. Um, and so there, uh, you know, it, it dates all the way back to the time of the Apostle Paul, who says there are now, even now, many antichrists that are in the world. But there's always been this uh, presence that is pushing to come through, to make contact, to be born again, to be rebirthed uh, upon the earth. The Superman, the Antichrist, the 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 parallel Messiah, this superhuman that wants to come forward into the world, and so it's always this marriage of the um, the mysterious, for instance, uh, the supernatural, ufology, uh, or whatever, and the military aspect, 
and then the genetic component. All throughout history, and it dates back to the watchers, these geneticists who came down in the days of Jared on Mount Hermon. They came down. They start genetically modifying animals and humans. They create a body into which they can extend themselves. And how do they do this? By offering to trade military sciences for the use of uh, DNA. So it, 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 uh, now the, the question then arises, is this prophetic? Is this the fulfillment of Matthew 24, 37, where our Lord's closest disciples say, tell us what shall be mm-hmm. the sign of thy coming and of the end of the age? And he gives them signs, and then he says in Matthew 24, 37, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the coming of the Son of Man. So... Uh, and the one thing that marked the days of Noah more than anything else was that genetic corruption. In fact, the Bible tells us clearly that the reason for the flood uh, was because all flesh, both man and beast, had been corrupted. That's a really important portion of Scripture. Right. Because if it had only said uh, all fle- uh, you know, all man had corrupted mm-hmm. himself, then the argument could reasonably be made that this was talking about moral corruption. Mm-hmm. Right. But we don't ascribe morality to animals that only act by instinct. Right. So the fact that the animals were corrupted, this lends more towards the Chuck Missler type interpretation of these texts that this is talking about genetic corruption. So what once was is happening again. And the interesting thing to me, Tom and uh, Dr. Bennett, is how that the transhumanists themselves seem to see this. We, I think we've talked on your show before about uh, Nick Bostrom, Oxford mm-hmm. University, and how he wants to marry humans with animals, to combine our genetics for the purposes of what? To be able to see into these domains that Terence McKenna was talking mm-hmm. about. We will modify our brains. We'll be able mm-hmm. to make contact. They Arizona no longer State. pretend. They no longer pretend that this is just a secular activity of science. They have taken the mask off, and they now are excited about the spiritual implications of it as well. Mm-hmm. Well, or even if they don't get it. You know, you said a moment ago, uh, can our government be influenced in ways that they don't really even comprehend? Well, certainly they can be. And I think that the same thing is true for the transhumanist community. Many of these transhumanists I've had the opportunity to be able to confer with, not just Dr. James Hughes, which I've been able to confer with, but many of the others, members of the faculty there at Arizona State University that want to be part of our documentary movie on this subject that's coming out this next year, that want to do uh, debates with me in public, and I'm probably going to do it. But but I, I look at some of these people, and frankly, they're very sincere. They're lost, in my opinion. They're blind, in mm-hmm. my opinion. But these are not people who um, who believe that what they're doing is evil. Uh, they don't. That concept really is kind of even alien mm-hmm. to them because they're, for the most part, atheists, agnostics, um, and uh, um, so certainly not prototypical of spiritual, uh, you know, religious mm-hmm. people, if you will. They feel um, they're preserving our species, right? That our species is in peril due to all sorts of various reasons, and if they don't do this. They think this is the only way that we're going to have a lasting time. And, of course, they like the idea that if somebody told them they could probably cure cancer or something like that with this activity and maybe get to live forever, too. So, well, some of some yeah. of them approach it from that point of view. Some of them simply see it as the next step in human evolution, that since the Enlightenment era, we've all wanted to be Gilgamesh, right? We all want to become gods. We all want to transcend uh, the limitations of our humanity as we know it. And so uh, all of the boundaries are up for grabs, as Leon Cass, the former 
chairman of the President's Council on Bioethics, in his book uh, described all of these boundaries, the, 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 the boundaries between human beings and, and an animal, and even the boundaries between human beings and a superhuman, the Ubermensch, or even becoming a god. And so many of the academics from both sides, both liberals and conservatives, are weighing in on this issue. Now the military is weighing in on it. This last year there was a military conference, actually, that was held in Washington, D.C., that had high-ranking members of the United States military, including uh, the, the current head of DARPA, and, and they were saying that this is going to begin on the battlefield. It's beginning right now. It's going, to, uh, it's going to be basically being rolled out in earnest over the next decade. But what they were saying is what starts in the battlefield is going to quickly spread to the wider culture because, uh, you know, people are going to see the advantages of being enhanced. IBM right now is already working on a kind of extracranial uh, neural reader. You see these game systems coming out, you know, where people can put a cap on their head and play games just by thinking about it. That's how fast the technology is advancing, and IBM is betting billions of dollars, millions of dollars, I should say, tens of millions of dollars, uh, that within the next decade, basically, you know, the, the vast majority of the population is going to want to have their neural reader of something no bigger than a Bluetooth that they're going to put on their ear that will read the neural impulses of their brain that will then allow them to control all these electronic devices, everything. Well, I mean, we're all going to be hooked into the grid. We're talking about the matrix here, but for real. And, private, uh, and privacy is a thing of the past when that occurs. It's Well, that, yeah. Your now, private minds easy. will no longer be... You won't be able to have private thoughts and keep them to yourself. Yeah, that's what Dr. C. Christopher Hook, the Associate Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic, is warning about, that, that, that we are about to breach the final... Um, uh, you know, wall. I can't remember his mm -hmm. language about that, but I mean, we're 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 getting ready now uh, to plunge headlong. And actually, he describes it as a demonic contrivance, <laughs> a Faustian bargain. That's the language that Doctor C. Christopher Hook uses. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah. You know, setting aside the spiritual implications for just a moment, there are some really practical dangers. And you go into your book exhaustively, and people who read your website also keep up with this well, too, where uh, they're coming at this from so many different directions, between direct ge genetic changes to our uh, DNA code, uh, to augmentation, making cyborgs out of us electronically, the hive mind approach like we just alluded to, where you, you share your brain with everybody else, networked, and everybody has access to everything, and on and on. There are so many different things that, that you talk about that are well along in development now. But aside from the spiritual part, can you comment on the dangers that things like computer virus analogs have and centralized control to this centralized human brain database, basically, that's being hooked up? What's, what's the other dark side of what can actually happen when this happens? Well, uh, there's, there's, the potential is widespread. I would, I would just simply really want people, if they don't buy the book Forbidden Gates and read it, at least download the 263-page free teacher's guide on this subject matter because there's a tremendous amount of information and links that they can go to in which they can read things, for instance, to, uh, to answer your question, um, where we discuss, for instance, uh, experiments with the atmosphere, uh, acoustics, um, ghost-like materializations that have been created recently by just tinkering with the brain that indicate to us that the brain 
is this magnificent complex thing that God created. Uh, secularists say it's the seed of the soul. Well, they might be closer mm-hmm. to understanding the truth than what an awful lot of uh, mm-hmm. even uh, theologians are. They may so, find techniques to get around the cherubim with the flaming sword, in other mm-hmm. words. Yeah, well, so so then so then you start... So just look at all of nature, not just the human body, not just altering the human brain. Look at all of the things that God created and 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 in his magnificent wisdom put boundaries around particular kind of things and then look at what we're doing now. We're talking about we're already genetically modifying crops which is is uh, already uh, appears to be representing health issues. We're transgenically altering animals but now we're geoengineering we're interested in geoengineering we're interested in also altering uh you know basically the environment the climate the, the heavens if you will and as we start tinkering with the atmosphere um in fact you might re- you might recall a while back and i did not write about this in the book but darpa hired harp and it came under immediate uh condemnation from a lot of people but they hired them to create a radiation belt remediation system remember you remember that and Mm-hmm. And what they were doing was they were envisioning a way to protect low Earth uh, orbiting satellites from damage that might be caused by severe solar storms, which uh, NASA has predicted for the year 2012-2011. Um, and and what but what they were imagining was, and I'm you know I'm I'm so limited in this stuff because my studies in divinity, not in science. But uh, damage can be caused to satellites through solar storms, high-altitude nuclear detonations, EMPs, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And, and they, were, uh, they believed that um, uh, extremely high-intensity, low-frequency, uh, what do they call these, VLF, radio waves, right, right. Could, could be used to flush out particles from the radiation belts and then dump them into the upper atmosphere. They thought this was a good idea. Well, right away, a lot of scientists started mm-hmm. warning how it could cause unprecedented changes to the atmosphere. Well, what, what, what stuck out about that to me in this kind of geoengineering is this very important esoteric question. Through tinkering uh, with our environment in those kind of ways, could we actually bring ourselves into contact with forces that are completely that we're completely uh, incapable of dealing with? For instance, um, tinkering with frequencies in atmosphere. Who is it that the Bible and other mm-hmm. holy books describe as the god of the air, right. the god of the atmosphere? This is this is Bilzebub, the lord of those that flit in the air, mm-hmm. the prince but, of the powers of the air. Brother we Tom, about. I'm aware of all this because I've seen old uh, the Outer Limits television shows. Because in the Outer Limits, the theme was always some scientist who was manipulating something like that and contacted an entity that he had no idea what he was getting into. That is something that is inbred into the human psyche, I think. If you look at Dr. Frankenstein and you look at all these kind of things, uh, that forbidden fruit, we still cannot resist it. Eve couldn't resist it. We can't resist it. What did God say when similar kind of activities happened at the Tower? He says, whatever they set their minds to do. They're going to do. They can do right. whatever they set their minds to do. You know, it's it's part of what's fascinating about humanity is our desire. Probably what puzzles sometimes the angelic world it is why we strive. Why do we do all this stuff? Why do we push to do these kind of things to be something we're not? And then, of course, it's our own undoing. And the more tools we get, the more technology. You know, you know, you said that these people didn't know what they were doing with this. Well, what about the first atomic test at Trinity site? Right. You know, they were taking bets on whether it was going to ignite the atmosphere. 
But that didn't give them pause before they conducted the test. Right. They had an objective, an agenda, <laughs> and and if they That's ignited it, you know, what a bummer, but we're going to move forward. So That's we right. shouldn't expect that. And if we should be so naive, as and I know this is part of what you're trying to prevent to your audience by reading this, if we'd be so naive to think that because our government might be aware of some of this, that therefore it's going to be done in a safe and protective manner, people just literally have their heads in the sand. They don't see how our food supply is managed. They don't see how any of these kind of things that impact our daily life are, quote, mismanaged by government officials. And this is no different. The, the, the Frankenstein scenarios that they think somehow somebody will figure out how to head them off, when the genie's out of the bottle, and like you said, um, if, if they do corrupt our genetic code and then we have a reproducible form that goes our what we are as humans is doomed whether people want it or not because it will eventually change who we are even if it makes hybrids even if it it, it you know uh, you breed different groups and something third third substance comes out it will never be the same is what it is. So, uh, you know, when I was asked by the pastor at our church, uh, shortly after I started going uh, to this church, to speak to the youth as uh, Dr. Future, to ask them, you know, from looking from Dr. Future's technology view, what would be the one issue that shows us that we must be in the last days? And it was easy for me back then many years ago to pick this topic of the genetic revolution as something that appears is going to have to force God's hand. Uh, we, we are committed to our own destruction, uh, and only God himself can save us from it ultimately. But in the meantime, uh, as we're coming to the close of the show here, there are at least some things we can do armed with this knowledge. You know, the Lord always provides a way of escape for his children, whether he holds up spies there in Rahab's place or, or finds somewhere for them to stay in a refuge until the coast is clear or something to do. What kind of guidance can you give our listeners that want to be prudent? With this information, it can be very depressing. What what can they do to be prepared from, from what you shared about the days ahead? Well, first of all, I don't want them to be uh, depressed, and I don't want them to be afraid. And that's the reason why the whole last portion, the whole fourth quarter, if you will, of the new book, Forbidden Gates, um, deals with how we can win and and how and we tried to put it in really practical terms where uh, you know we talked about how uh, this might be a sign of the days of Noah the repeat of these this genetic aberration but that there were also other signs related to the days of Noah if you look at Noah uh, and you and you think about how Noah must have been surrounded by um, inhuman forces that all of which would have wanted to destroy him the Bible says that the uh, the intents of men's hearts was only evil continuously. So he was surrounded by all this hostility, and yet look at what happened to Noah. Peter says he became a preacher of righteousness. He enunciated the uh, glorious gospel of the Old Testament <laughs> to his generation. He was a preacher of righteousness. He's the only one that survived, him and his family. Everything else went down in the flood, but he survived. Um, we will not only survive, we will triumph. We can win in our generation. Uh, David, as a young ready, uh, destroyed Goliath, who was a Nephilim, an offspring of that aberration that occurred during the days of Noah. So young people can play a role 
in being an answer to this issue. Then you also see uh, where uh, Joshua and Caleb, as old guys, Caleb was almost 90 years of age when he went into the Promised Land and he drove out the sons of Anak. So from young people to old people, <laughs> and I'm, I'm putting myself there, by the way, uh, we can be part of the answer. What you said a moment ago is true. We are the power against which the gates of hell cannot prevail. So what can we do? We can be what we are. We can be the body of Christ. We can be preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can get involved in the discussion. We can become educated about the issue. And if we do, we win. The bottom line is this, Dr. Uh, Bennett and Tom Bionic, if God's people will become aware of this information, become in, uh, informed on what is occurring right now in uh, the philosophy of transhumanism, more importantly, the genetic sciences that are leading towards a human enhancement revolution, if they'll become involved in the discussion of it uh, and be the ones who are providing the, uh, the, the perimeters, the ethical the, the discussion around the ethic of what is allowable and what is not allowable, what should be accepted, what should not be accepted, if the body of Jesus Christ will get involved in this discussion, we win. If we don't get involved, we're going to lose, and we're going to lose quickly. We're going to lose this generation. We're going to lose the future of this generation. And uh, if, if we don't get involved, frankly, I think prophecy... Of biblical uh, the uh, the the uh, biblical proportion prophecies of, about um, the signs of the days of Noah are going to unfold around us. Mm -hmm. And we should appreciate our humanity. This shows how special our humanity is. Uh, no, we're not going to become gods. The New Agers don't have it right. We can't do that. But we're of such great value that God Himself offered Himself for us. That's right. So humanity must be pretty special just the way it is for God to incarnate himself not as a H+, but as a lowly human. Uh, God himself, the creator of everything there is, chose to become a human over anything else to incarnate into uh, and, on and our the, behalf. And the one other thing I would add to all this is to say that I'm not a Luddite. I'm not opposed to technological advancement. I believe that an awful lot of what is happening uh, in the genetic sciences and nanotechnology and whatever could also uh, be something that God could use to provide cures for uh, diseases, mm -hmm. uh, robotic assistance to uh, the invalids. So th th there could be a great deal of good that comes out of this. I'm not opposed to a great deal of this technology. It's only when we begin to cross over the species barriers, when we begin altering humans in ways that they are no longer human, that the red flags go up. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Mm -hmm. This is Tom Horn, author of Forbidden Gates, The Dawn of Techno-Dimensional Spiritual Warfare. Uh, you can get it, I'm certainly at uh, RaidersNewsNetwork.com, Survivor Mall, I'm sure has it, uh, or your local bookstore, correct? Uh, actually, right now they cannot get it at any place other than SurvivorMall.com. Okay. We gave them a 90-day exclusive oh. arrangement. In fact, some of the other ministries that you see that are offering the book right now, like Prophecy in the News, are actually getting it from Survivor Mall. Uh, it will not be available in any bookstore, uh, per se, Amazon, whatever, until February of next year. So if they want to get the book, okay. they have mm. to get it at SurvivorMall.com. Well, that will be close to the air date of this show, so I just want to make sure people look at it but go to survivor mall get it first and uh brother tom i thank you so much for joining us again on future quake hey dr bennett and tom bionic always great to be on with you guys
We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, frozen bionic. Yeah, still like frozen caveman. Yeah, I need to go outside in the two-degree weather to yeah. warm up a little bit. There were some people that tried to get that for their school mascot, the frozen caveman. Frozen caveman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, are you Very afraid of transhumanism? Yeah. Um, well, the, it's obvious that uh, Brother Tom Horn there is very, very passionate about this. Yes. I'd be interested. One of the things he mentioned uh, was a debate between himself and some other yeah. uh, people who are very into transhumanism. I would be interested to see that. Yeah. Um, I would like to see that. I'd even run on the stage afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know? Very, like a three-ring circus. You know a you know fight's going to break out. Yeah. yeah. Somebody throws a chair, and it's like a Geraldo. Yeah. You yeah. want to bring David Hitt. He's a big guy. Is he a big dude? Somebody not big, though, is Murph, who can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the shows, topics, or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. We have to go. Let's hit it. Okay, come back next week. We'll be back with our regular news segment here. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake.